Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Songwriters on Process podcast. My name is Ben Opapari, and since 2010, I've run the Songwriters on Process website, where you can find more than 200 conversations with songwriters about the creative process. I'm not here to talk about tour stories, band drama, how a band got its name, or favorite foods. My goal is to treat songwriters as writers, plain and simple. This is an intelligent conversation about the writing process between two writers. And today's interview is a good one, people. It's with Philip Selway of Radiohead. Selway is the drummer of Radiohead, as I'm sure. Uh, there are radio Radiohead fans out there, you know that well. But if you didn't, he's the drummer. And he has a new solo album out on Belly Union Records called Strange Dance. It comes out February 24th. Uh, it is fantastic. And we went deep into a songwriting process, as I'm supposed to do on this podcast. But if you are here, let me just forewarn you, if you are here to listen to anything having to do with the band, with Radiohead, uh, I am proud to say that in the entire, what, 50 minutes of this interview, we did not once mention the band, anyone in the band, nothing about what the band uh, is doing, uh, how the band influences him. I am laser focused on Selway as a songwriter. So if you're here to listen to Radiohead news, you're not going to find it here. We just talked about Selway's creative process. And that's a good one. He told me the best writing happens when I'm looking the other way. My songs, my songs come along when they choose. Um, and I hear that often, you know, the, the whole grabbing, grabbing the songs out of the ether, um, that a lot of them tell me, um, couple of interesting things. He said that his drum stool, he likes to write on his drum stool, his drum stool. And this is the one reference to, to Radiohead. He said, my drum stool grounds me in my wider life. So, you know, rather than a, a, a writing chair or something like that, he writes uh, on his drum stool. I thought that was interesting. Um, two things I found fascinating. One, he gets profoundly affected by watching dance, not by dancing, but by watching dance that finds, uh, he finds that to be incredibly inspiring to him creatively. And when we talked about the, um, you know, the actual writing of the lyrics, he said the, has, he writes down a mind map. He takes a blank piece of paper and he has a blue pen, a black pen and a pencil. He, uh, feels much more connected to the words when he writes with a pen or a pencil. And if he'll write with one, and if that, Kind of, if he's not feeling it, he switches to another one. Um, and he said, switching between the utensils moves the process along. He doesn't erase, though. Uh, he'll cross out with the pencil. Uh, I thought that was interesting, too. Those uh, No one's ever mentioned watching dancing. And I've had, had songwriters tell me that they write with pens and pencils and things like that. But, you know, again, as a lot of them tell me, the mindless activities are a great source of inspiration. So, um Hey, listen, I'm a big Radiohead fan, so this was a lot of fun to talk to him and just fascinating. Super nice guy. Um, he got his start, his career, his start way, way back when as a copy editor. Uh, so he is a wordsmith. He's a man of words. It's not in the podcast, um, but we did talk about if he's pro-Oxford comma, uh, serial comma. Um, and I think he said he's pro-serial comma, pro-Oxford comma, but... Um, literature is also a big influence on his life. And we talked about that. So again, great conversation here, as you can imagine, anyone in that band is filled with creative ideas. So this was a special one. I hope you enjoy it. And here is my interview with Philip Selway of Radiohead. So thank you very much for, uh, taking the time to talk to me. Um, the first thing I always start with is I was, you know, I was listening to this interview with Bruce Springsteen about a month ago. And he, I think, with with the radio broadcaster Howard Stern, and and he asked mm -hmm. Bruce Springsteen if he writes every day, and Springsteen said no because I don't have something. Sometimes I have nothing to say, and I thought, wow, that was interesting that someone who writes as much as he does doesn't write every day. So I'm curious, yeah. how important is it as an artist for you to create in some fashion every day, or is it more of just a question of when the mood strikes? Is it, I guess as an artist, is this in, in any fashion, is it important to create every day? Um, I think there, there has to be some kind of creative time there. 
uh, and that can just be engaging with something that somebody else has has produced. Um, but in terms of actually writing, no, I don't write every every day, and it can actually, um, yeah, I I have to wait for the uh, for the for the muse to take me, so to speak, and um, and that sometimes that can actually be worryingly um, long in between. It, it, between instances of that happening, really. Um, but I find actually writing happens when I'm looking the other way. If you like, if I if I sit down and say, right, I'm going, I've got to write something now. Generally, it doesn't happen um, too well. You know, it can. I mean, when I've done soundtracks, yeah, you have to kind of uh, write to order to a certain extent on on there. So. That is a very different discipline, but for actually kind of my songs, they come along when they choose and um, you just have to make sure that you're receptive to them when they do, when they do appear as, as well. I mean, and that is, you know, the voice memos on, on my phone are just full of ideas because I've learned the hard way that um, in the past there have been ideas that have come along and I'm thinking, oh, that's really strong. We can't remember that word. No. And so kind of I, I keep a constant um, note of even just little fragments of melodies coming up. I was going to ask you this later on, but since you brought it up, you know, songwriters tell me all the time about the voice memos that they have. And there's no very little do I hear people talk about any sense of organization with the voice memos. There's hundreds of them on their phone. They're not organized. And I just get great anxiety <sighs> because I think. What is it like to scroll through all of them? And where is that one from three weeks ago? So is there any sense of organization to those voice memos on your phone? <laughs> Every so often I will uh, I will think, oh, do you know what? I should name these these memos. And so you'll go from kind of like every two or three months, you get a couple of voice memos with a name on. And then in between, it's just like voice member, voice memo number 456. And it carries on like that. Um, in a way, that's kind of nice because you can just dive back in and come across stuff. You have absolutely no recollection of, of having uh, put down in the first place. Um, and actually, that's quite a, uh, that's quite a, an effective um, uh, angle to come at it from because you're coming with completely fresh ears. Um, and it could be that at the time you just thought, well, I don't know if that's so great. But actually, you can see the nugget of a good idea in there. I mean, you can develop that. Um, and yeah, I mean, my voice memos are just this big amorphous blob, to be <laughs> honest with you. Um, and uh, yeah, I backed them up as well. They're in the cloud. Uh, and um, uh, but yeah, they're, they're, they're kind of it is really interesting just going back through them from time to time uh, and uh, and particularly at those points when you're thinking, you know what, I haven't really come up with anything for a while. And there you can go in and actually you have all these starting points in there. Um, and um, yeah, they're so, so unselfconscious as well. You know, it is literally you, you have an idea, you put it down, you leave it and move on. Um, and that, so there's always a real freshness to them. Sometimes there's a little bit of cringeworthiness to them as well. Um, but on the whole, I think you can, you know, if if it's if something's saying to me at the time, that's an idea that's worth keeping, then on the whole, I'd, I'd say, you know, there is something to work with there. You know, you mentioned distance. And for me, at least as a writer, I find that distance is, a, is probably the most important part of my revision process, uh, you know, that the more distance I give something, the more fresh eyes, the fresher the eyes are, yeah. and I'm able to look at it. Often, if there's something I don't like, and I give it a few days, there are things that I find in there that are, you know, that that I maybe didn't see earlier. So I deliberately use that as a part of my process. So do you use distance, you know, after things have been created, do you deliberately use distance as, as a part of that revision process, whether it's music or lyrics? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, actually, kind of with the, the album that I've just made, Strange Dance, that took, uh, well, over a period of about a year and a half, almost two years to to 
write and and record. And within that, there are always these periods where um, I would take time away from it so that I could come back with fresh ears. Um, other, other points, you know, other stuff in life took over, so I had to step away from it. But each time that I stepped away and came back to it, I felt that the process benefited from it. And um, it's... I, I find that actually kind of once I've completed a song, when I've been in the, in, in, in the throes of writing it, it makes sense to me. Then when I've completed it, to that point where I've completed, I just thinking, does that make sense? And then actually having uh, having some time away from it after that, and then particularly when you start talking about the songs as well um, to other people, it's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I get it now. And you kind of really you get an insight into into all the different stages of say life writing the lyric all the rewrites in there but they all leave their imprint on there mm-hmm. and they all kind of grow into into the life of of the song and um yeah i find that that side of it fascinating also i think it's it kind of it it just gives an insight into yourself really I, I, I think, and things bubble up, which, you know, can surprise you, I guess. So it's kind of leaving, leaving the, uh, the room for that to happen. I've, I've also noticed recently that sleep is a very restorative process. And I've, and, <laughs> and, and here's what I mean. So if I write something, let's say I finish something at eight o'clock and nine o'clock in the morning, and I look at it 12 hours later, uh, I don't have the same, I, I'm not as aggressive in my revision and my cutting of the of words as if let's say I finished at nine o'clock at night and revised at nine o'clock the next morning. There's something about sleep, whether it's a reset, where you know, one night sleep, I come at it the next day and I'm much more willing to get rid of things that I wasn't willing to get rid yeah. of. I don't know why that is, but I find I don't know what it is about sleep. I'm you know that that does that. But I find that when I if I do need to get rid of something, if something I'm writing, I just finished something is too long. If I give it one night, I get up that next morning and oh yeah, I didn't need that. And I don't know what it is about sleep that does that. But do you find that that can be a helpful part to the process? Has that ever happened to you? Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, my words. I mean, sleep is so so essential to to me, really. Um, and I, I, I kind of unravel very quickly and I don't think there is that's interesting what you're saying kind of without that kind of buffer zone of the sleep that restoration of, of the sleep you do get stuck in a loop on something uh you become over attached to things because that's that's never a healthy uh thing to to, to part of the, of the creative process really you, I think you have to keep an open mind and let go be prepared to let go um quite a lot actually um and so i find that kind of with me with sleep it is that that kind of that grounding process of it and uh and and those things that you've been you know building yourself up into a little bit of a tease about whilst you've been writing it they're just not that important when you wake up the next morning and so you can come to it with a, a much fresher take so yeah i completely agree with you um when i was finishing the um the very last track on strange dance which is the title track strange dance i mean that took an an age to write and um i was booked in to go and do the vocal session um and so i thought okay well i'll pull an all-nighter on this one i will be there um and I got to that point, like about four o'clock in the morning, where I thought, oh, nearly there, nearly there. And uh, it was just that lack of sleep. Suddenly I had that panic of thinking, oh, my God, this is just, this is, you know, this is not going to happen. I'm going to look such a fool going into this session. All this hard work that's gone into making this record, everything that everybody's put into it, it's just going to be all for nothing because because stupid Philip can't get it to write the second verse <laughs> on this song. and. And that's what sleep does, or lack of sleep does. It distorts everything. That can be an interesting place creatively in some ways. And actually, in fairness to me, 
in that instance, I did have this very 11th hour. I did manage to write the second verse, but it was like 10 minutes before I left to go and record the vocal. And actually, it turned out to be kind of one of my favourite um, lyrics on, on the album. But, yeah, I couldn't do that every day as, as a working practice. So, yes, sleep is really vital to, to how I function and how I can be productive and creative. You know, let's talk about that process. I mean, I think it's important. I know what works for me and what doesn't work for me. Mm. So I have a chair. I, I, I'd separate writing from revisions. So I have a chair that I write in and I revise in a separate chair uh, because I want distance. I know that about myself. I know that it works. Yeah. Uh, there's times of day when I'm more, you know, I'm, I'm a morning person. I'm not a night person. There are things I have to have with me. I, I think the ritual is important. I read all these interviews yeah. with writers in the Paris Review. And I think that's an important thing to just to know what works and what doesn't. So what is that ritual? Do you have a ritual, whether it's a favorite room, time of day, things you have to have with you when you tend to be the most effective? Um, well, like you, I'm a, I'm a morning person. So uh, I, I find that actually that stretch up to probably around lunchtime, early afternoon, that is quite a fertile time for me. Um, and kind of well i mean getting all of your admin and all of that side and all the grown-up stuff of, of life is very important but that can wait till i've got less brain capacity i think um later on in the day so if if i feel that, you know there's a deadline coming up with a, a, a piece i will use that time um and uh for, for focusing on on my writing um and then i find once Actually, I've started that process. I can step away from it and it will be kind of whirring away mm -hmm. at the back of my head. And so I can I can then come back to it throughout the day. But I do hit that point kind of mid-evening where uh, I'm basically my brain is jelly and it, it I won't get anything else out of it until about I'm just about to go to bed. And, and then it just goes... And it's like, oh, really? Now? <laughs> and I might have a, a little brief window then to, to get stuff down again. Um, so, yeah, um, well, I can't, you know, there, there are particular places um, that I will write. I mean, I find um, lyric writing, I find I need to be near uh, kind of, a guitar or a piano, kind of. You see me here at the moment by a piano. This is would be a good place to work. And actually, in terms of chairs, I'm on a drum stool at the moment. That kind of grounds <laughs> me in my in my wider life. And so things like that. So all of those things they kind of feed into it. I remember uh, there's a fantastic book that the dancer and choreographer uh, Twyla Tharp wrote about the creative process. And and actually, you know, she's she's been very. Um, it, there's she kind of demystifies the whole process, and and a, a lot of what she talks about there in there is having that ritual. If it's something like you know when you come in, lighting a candle, because actually, you know, you're saying to your brain, right, I am going to start this creative process. I'm going into a different space and a different headspace. And I think those those things are quite yeah. I think they're really important because you've just you've you've got to find some discipline in the in the process, um, and um, and actually you've got to find the stamina to to sit with it as well. Particularly when uh, you know the ideas that you're coming up with in those moments don't feel like the most inspiring. You know, it's easy once you've got a good idea because then you, you, you know, you're just keeping up with a runaway horse. Then, um, but in in the, the uh, and that's not the the general part <laughs> pattern for me. And so it is just that whole thing of of sitting there with it uh, and trying not to get too anxious about it either, um, which is all very well 
you know, saying that, but kind of when you've got a deadline looming over you, then, yeah, that can be quite anxiety-inducing. Um, but, yeah, I guess, you know, anxiety has its place in there. It can, it can be a fuel in there. But I find actually having as kind of like a, as a calmer environment as I can have, I find that very, very useful. Um, and so, yes, it's it's making sure you kind of sit down, you say, I'm going to work at this for, for four hours now, little break here, kind of mix it up. You know, for me, it might just be playing another song altogether. Um, but it is just keeping those cogs moving and, and trying to constantly open out the possibilities of an idea as well. Um, yeah, some days it works and they're fantastic. Other days, yeah, you beat yourself up about about it. <laughs> just right. it. Um, you know, you mentioned things, you've said anxiety a few times. We've all been in that situation, you know, where we're up against deadlines and somehow we're able to create when we know we're up against those deadlines. So, uh, you know, I find that what I've actually done is incorporated false deadlines into my process. So a false deadline yeah. for me isn't, oh, I'll write for an hour, start the stopwatch if there's nothing to do after that hour. But let's say I have a phone call at two, a scheduled phone call. I won't start writing until one. Now, what I'm writing has nothing to do with that phone call, but it's still a hard stop where I know that I have to stop and finish writing. And I know that about myself because we live in Washington, DC and I go to New York for business all the time, which is like yeah. a three hour train ride. And I will get more done on in those three hours than if I sat here for three hours, because I know I have to stop because the train pulls in, I've got to put my laptop away. So I deliberately use false deadlines as a part of my process, as a way to kind of just get my butt in gear. Um, so I'm curious if you've ever, if you ever, if that's ever happened to you, because you mentioned, you know, looming deadlines and anxiety when maybe when things aren't coming. And I find that if, if things aren't coming to me, if, in a, if I'm in a rut, I'll use a deadline to just kind of that false deadline to really get me going. Um, yeah. Um, I think, I mean, you're talking about that, that whole thing of, of traveling. I mean, being in transit, you know, it has, it, it has its kind of um, natural conclusion uh, and and that whole thing of the movement of it as well. Um, that can be a very creative space to be in. Um, and deadlines, are, they're kind of vital to, to the whole process, aren't they? Yes, you do have to impose deadlines on yourself. Um, uh, and I, I do that, I mean, kind of with making strange dance, you know, I always knew what was coming up. I could, and when I was doing my kind of initial demos and se session templates, I've committed to sharing those with uh, my collaborators and, and with Marta, the producer, on a particular date. And that was kind of, um, that was like about a week or so up ahead of where I needed to be. But also knowing that actually I would need that contingency time in there because I knew that I would uh, <laughs> go a week beyond, really. Um, but yes, so, and then you get those very kind of natural deadlines in, in the studio. You know, you booked in uh, for, for a week and you know that you have those particular uh, musicians there for a week so you have to make those decisions i guess it's it's for decisions isn't it yeah that keeps everything moving forward and um and then that's where you need the time for reflection as well so they're not always going to be the right decisions but you've made a decision so you have something there to to respond to and that you can come back to and change if need be and um if it's um you know if, if 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 it's gone beyond the deadline for for actually um, finishing the entire project, then then you just say, well, there you go. Lesson to be learned there. I'll I'll, uh, I'll kind of, I'll, I'll work that into my work practice next time. But yeah, deadlines are uh, deadlines and decisions kind of propel the whole process forward. And yeah, I do try and build them in. 
Yeah. What about movement? I mean, I, I, every writer, every songwriter I've interviewed and I, and I do this the same way. There's nothing about a good walk when I find, or I go running all the time. I'll run, you know, um, there's nothing like, like a good run or a good walk to get kind of the, to clear things up. And I find so many ideas come to me. The ideas don't come, you know, when I'm sitting here, they come when I'm doing something else, but actually exercising. So I'm curious if that's a part of your process as well. It is. Yeah. Um, I'm coming back to the whole voice memos thing. You know, you get the idea, but you do get all this ambient noise in there with them. It's like the wind from, from a walk or traffic noise or, or kind of, I don't know, treadmill in the background or something like that. Um, and um, yes, I, I find that there, there's that, that sense of movement can order things for you. It can give you greater clarity. It can't, I, I guess, you know, it's just that whole process of your body moving. It, it changes the, your body chemistry, I guess, in that moment. And um, I mean, it, exercise you're going to be releasing all those endorphins anyway and uh, and all of that you know all of those things are kind of fueled to the fire so um and also you're occupying a big part of your brain that subconscious part of that that, that, that part of your brain which i can't can't think the name of at the moment but which you, you know that has all those automatic functions of your 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 body you're occupying that. So it's kind of, that doesn't have an opportunity to get anxious. It's being occupied. And it's, uh, you know, you can say to it, you go and do that. I'll just get on with this over here. Thank you. And um, and so you, you're kind of freeing up um, that kind of really creative, effectively creative part of your brain. That, uh, that's how I feel when I, when I do exercise or go walking. Well, I can't tell you how many times it's happened to me too, but songwriters tell me they they get ideas, not just when they're walking or doing something, something like that, but when they're doing a mindless activity, like you're saying, doing the dishes, you know, running a vacuum cleaner, um, cleaning, gardening, those. And I think that's what we're talking about, that your, you know, your subconscious brain, your, your, your brain's kind of is occupied with doing that mindless activity, repetitive activity. Uh, and then that lets your subconscious kind of bubble up. But I hear that all the time, the ideas people get, not just when they're exercising, but when they're doing some kind of mindless yeah. activity. Um, yeah, I think I think it, it's a big tell with me for, for for my wife. If I'm doing housework, she'll say, all right, you're trying to avoid writing, aren't you? <laughs> Is it that obvious? <laughs> Right, right, right. So with with the writing, then the big question is, are you a with the lyrics? Are you a pen and paper person or a computer person? I am a pen and paper person. Um, so I've, got, I've, I've got my notebook, which uh, it goes through oh endless drafts on on something. And then when I'm really stuck, I'll get a big sheet of paper Um and uh, and place that on the floor and just throw all the ideas down on them and try and kind of make like a little mind map through there and see if that helps. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it doesn't work for me. They're, they're, it doesn't engage the right parts of my brain on in using a computer. Um, I guess some of that generation, you know, it was uh, kind of, I learned to generate those ideas uh, at a time in education when it was pen and paper, it wasn't computer. I guess it might be different for anybody who's come up through that whole with that technology at their fingertips. I see it with my kids. That's how they express themselves. That's what makes their brain pick in the right way. Um, but for me, I need that tactile sense of of seeing. Again, I guess it's it, 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 it's that that physical process as well, which um, I guess I feel more connected mm -hmm. to what's going down on the paper. There feels like more of me invested in it when I see it there in my handwriting, and uh, you can't doodle on on um, on your computer either. And so, kind of got lots of doodles going very bad doodles, but lots of doodles going on around uh, uh, all my words as well. 
Well, first of all, I think there's plenty of studies have shown that that when it comes to note taking for students, and we have four kids, and 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 we talk about this all the time, that people retain information better when they write it down rather than when they're typing mm-hmm. it, as far as notes. But um, a couple follow ups. One, I find that songwriters are incredibly particular with the color of ink, brand of pen, and maybe paper. But does that matter to you at all? The color of ink or the type of pen? Is there a favorite that you have? So. Uh, with my notebook, I've got one of these little pen holders, which kind of goes around the book. And in there, I've got a blue pen and a black pen and a pencil. <laughs> and, and it kind of, it, it shouldn't influence what you're doing. But I find that if I kind of keep on switching between them as I'm going along, then it helps the process along, you know. And um, And pencil is brilliant as well. I mean, you know, not going to do any kind of erasing. As I think that's a big mistake, but there's just something, it, there's somewhere um, extra to hide in pencil, I, I think. And um, so you kind of always, I, I find I'm always trying to kid, kid myself into that position where it's just like, you know, you can do this anonymously. It's fine. And uh, it, there's nothing, nothing, kind of riding on it you're gonna be okay and kind of if I can find my way to that spot then I know I can uh I can produce something you know possible and are are you crossing out or are you erasing I'm assuming you're crossing out because you don't want if you need that later it's still there right if you write a lyric that you don't like um unless I really dislike it and I'm very tired I generally don't cross cross out I would just keep on kind of writing and writing and redoing it. And um, um, yeah, actually, if I start crossing out, then I think that's that's generally time to go to bed. <laughs> you know, I interviewed Daniel Lanois a couple of years ago, and he told me almost exactly what you said. And I think if I recall, he said he does all of his lyric writing on 11 by 22 blank art paper. And just like right. you said, with the doodling and the thought bubbles, and it's not linear at all. And there's stuff all over the place. And it's not a linear lyric process. And I think that's kind of what you're telling me is that 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 process is not linear really to you at all, is it? No. No, no, no. I mean, you're trying to pull all these different elements from kind of all kind of like the recesses of your of your brain. And so, you, you, you know, I think the the page actually has to to reflect those that process, really. I mean, not the that chaos. I understand that. Yeah. yeah. Not that I understand that process. I mean, you know, I'm certainly no uh, neuroscientist, but um, but I it's like kind of when you you you're looking at the work of, of like a, uh, an abstract expressionist painter or something, there is something you look at, you just think, yeah, that's how a brain works. Mm-hmm. And kind of trying to do the sim- similar thing um, with with the, the written word on, on a piece of paper. And that's, the, that's a very important part of the process. Um, um, generally, I don't want to stay there. I kind of want it to have much more of a, a narrative to it and uh, a kind of uh, something, uh, a relatable thread to it. But I think actually just acknowledging how your brain works on the paper when it's just for yourself uh, and, and reflecting that, I think that's a really powerful process to go through. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I think no matter what you're doing, you have to recognize you know, as much as we like to think that it's this thing where you're just grabbing ideas out of the ether, we have to know what works for us and what doesn't. I mean, for me, it's mm-hmm. confidence. If I know that in that chair, the revision is going to be over there, or, you know, this is what works for me, that just gives me more confidence to know that I can create rather than the arbitrary sense of, oh, it might happen, it might not. But I just, I do think we have to have an awareness of that process, uh, you know, for confidence purposes, right? Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, confidence is, is the key in it. Um, if if you're racked with doubt throughout the writing, it's going it, it's, it's to speak volumes through what you're writing. Um, and um, is that confidence? Actually, this may not be the, the, the kind of the ultimate take on this idea or this idea might not actually go anywhere really um 
but the confidence to see it through and see see that something that you can park and come back. It's kind of as we were talking about earlier. It's, it's something that you can have there and that you can come back to and respond to at a later time. But you're not going to get to that point without that confidence. Yeah, I, I, I think. And, and that and that confidence for me is if I am if I am writing something, if I have an hour to write something, I'd like to create a skeleton draft with mm. that's like a shell of the whole thing. Like if I'm going to do 30% of a document, I'd rather do 30% that has a beginning, middle and end rather than the first 30% of it, because there's somewhere in my mind, I know, oh, at least it is finished. There's at least a yeah. shell of it. And at that, you know, I, when I, and again, I'm a prose writer, not a songwriter, but I create a skeleton draft, which is okay. When I'm done with it, at least I know there's an outline of the total thing rather than just the first third of it. And for me, that's, that just gives me incredible confidence to kind of, you know, to kind of complete the project. If I know that, that there is a beginning, middle and, and, and end to it. Yeah. Um, sorry, you're taking me right back to English classes at school now and just <laughs> those endless hours of, of essay technique and, and how to write an effective essay. Um, but it's great. I mean, when, once it's ingrained in you, it's, um, you know, it's, it's a really good process to be able to tap into. Um, I don't know, know if, it, if it works for me songwriting, which I find with songwriting, which I find quite frustrating um, because actually I know where I am with essay writing and um, there's something about the nature of, of, of lyric writing, which just feels so open-ended. Um, yes, I think there, there is that. It, it check, it's coming back to this thing again. Also, I don't know what, what the song is going to be about until I've finished it. Mm -hmm. So it's constantly shifting all the time. And if, I mean, if, Although, no, it's interesting, actually. I'm thinking one of, of, of the few instances where I've, I've written um, a song for that's uh, been in, in a soundtrack, I kind of know what purpose it serves in, what kind of dramatic purpose it will serve at that point, where the character's going. And that actually having that framework has been really useful because you've got something there to respond to. Uh, I think kind of with the, um, when I'm writing songs, for myself it's part of a big part of the process is is actually finding uh what i want to write about and i don't know that until i get to the end of the the song really you're you're speaking to a quote by the novelist el doctoro and and i wish i had it in front of me but he says something like writing is like driving at night with headlights you can't see the final destination you can just see what's in front of you uh, and, oh, and that's isn't great. That, yeah, isn't that exactly what we're talking about? That yes, you don't yeah, know where absolutely. it's going to end. Yeah, but you just, you, you can, all you can see is what's immediately in front of you, but you know you're going to get to the end eventually. So, yeah. Um, yeah, a couple more questions. Oh. Since you mentioned art, you mentioned abstract art. Ernest Hemingway once said, all writers should go to art galleries to be inspired. And I'm curious what artistic, what other art, if you do use art galleries, because I hear that pretty commonly, but other artistic endeavors, other art forms, I should say, that inspire you uh, as a songwriter? So um, there's a couple of things there, really. Actually, in the, in the process of uh, uh, of writing Strange Dance, I was working in parallel with the uh, uh, artist Stuart Geddes. So he's uh, in, in Bristol, based in Bristol in the UK. Um, and with friends. And so when I was starting to work on, on the songs that became the album, we were going into lockdown and we were both aware that we were um, kind of isolated in our studios, working away, um, but having nothing really to respond to. So we agreed that at the end of each week, we would get together on Zoom and just talk about the week, talk anything about the week, really, you know be that kind of, I don't know, football, family, whatever. But a big part of that conversation was also talking about 
what we've been working on during the week. And so this very kind of natural dynamic uh, where, where both our, our, our work works were kind of running in parallel and they were feeding into each other. And so it felt like a very natural process to, to then, then ask Stuart to, to make the paintings, that, which became the artwork. Mm-hmm. And for me, I found that fascinating, seeing how Stuart was responding to, uh, to what I was writing, uh, picking up the kind of the, the textures and the tones from what he was doing. And I think it was, you know, it was kind of a, a, a two-way street, really, in that respect. So that was uh, that was a really good um, uh, litmus test for me. Uh, I think as I as I was going through the process of writing the record. So there's a kind of again he works in that kind of abstract expressionism as, as well, and so. It's kind of I was looking at it. If there's something about it that was kind of it almost spoke the same language as music, and and just looking at thinking, yes, if that's how I was going to visualize an emotion, that would be it. And so for me, it gave me a lot of clarity on mm-hmm. on on what I was was doing. So I found that really uh, um, a really inspiring process. Um, and the other side for me, I know when things are uh, kind of hitting the right spot musically for me, because I, I, I start seeing things in terms of movement. So I think some people, you know, they, they, they will um, talk about their synesthesia and they'll see colours. Um, for me, it translates into music. I don't know if there's a term for, uh, into movement. So I don't know if there's a term for that. Um, but um and so kind of for me, dance is very important. And um, yeah, I get a huge amount. Of, of, there is something, I, I, I again, I don't understand the process. I don't, don't understand what it unlocks in me, but it, it, it certainly watching dance unlocks. Uh, yeah, very profound feelings for me, I think. And um well, profoundly uh, affecting feelings, whether they're actually profound thoughts that could accompany them, that's a whole different matter. But um, so, yes, I mean, and and again with with the with the album, I kind of it felt like a very natural process then to um, draw dance into the project. So I've been able to work with um, a quartet of dancers uh, to do uh, videos. Their dance pieces, which accompany some of the songs on here. There's, um, I find, kind of really, really uh, fertile place to be creatively is going up to, say, like the Edinburgh Festival in August and just having it's just in the air around you all Mm -hmm. the time. Um, um, And, you know, that cultural diversity, that, um, that kind of that fear of performance and all of those um, uh, fear and delight in, in performance as well. And all those kind of elements, they, they, they kind of, they sharpen your senses, I think, and um, uh, make, make your ideas feel, feel far more vivid. Um, and if there's a lot going on around you as well, when you, when you're in those situations, there's less chance to second guess yourself as well. Mm. So, you know, ideas will come and and you're not immediately thinking, oh, that's awful. That's really bad. No, no, that's just uh, that's just kind of that idea recycled. There is something you do, you, there is that sense of actually you're there, you're occupying those ideas at that time and they feel unique to you as well. So kind of being in that kind of environment is yeah, it, it it is really important. It's energizing. It's the, it's what Hemingway is saying, isn't it? I mean, he's around. We go to art galleries, and you're around the the artists. It's that same thing. It's being around other creatives that that you know that's inspiring. I guess it it makes sense. It, it does. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the great things of touring is that you get to go around uh, visit galleries all over the place. Yeah, you never would otherwise, and that is so inspiring. You know. Um, and 
Yeah, I'm, at the moment, I, I, I'm, I'm living in London and, and having that kind of that access to all, all, all the galleries, all that London has to offer culturally, that's been an eye-opener. And, and it's, it's felt like a very creative place to be. And, um, yeah, I really, really, really do respond to, to, to having that input, yeah. Yeah. All right. So last question. So let's talk writing, who you like to read books, what inspires you, favorite genres, favorite authors. Uh, I'll tell you my, my PhD is in 20th century dramatic literature. So playwrights. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I'm not, I was not, you know, didn't read novels. I mean, I'm obviously read plenty of novels and poems, but so, you know, I find nothing more inspiring to me than just reading good writing. So how much of that is a part of your routine and who do you like to read? Um, uh, I, uh, I have to admit, Ben, I am a bit of a slow reader, even though it's an English degree. <laughs> I am a slow reader. So am I. I'm very, I am very, <laughs> very slow. And I'm convinced that I don't know if everyone is like that, but I am a, I am a, I've always been a slow reader. Absolutely. So I had this thing, but when I had a proper job, I was actually a copy editor at a publishing right, I saw house. That. And uh, that, I mean, you can kiss goodbye to kind of uh, reading for pleasure because you just sit there. I mean, not as bad as I was, but for a long time, I would just sit there thinking, oh, really? I, I, I think you could have tidied that sentence up a bit more, couldn't you? <laughs> and going through it with that kind of analytical eye on it. Um uh, so yes, I'm a slow reader anyway. I think that made me even even uh, even slower. Um, writers, uh, yes, but it is a kind of I think once a book's captured your imagination, uh, that is such an exciting place to be, and you, and you do you just don't want to leave it. I spoke of, of earlier on about the um, the writer Jenny Fagan. Um, you know, her, her her writing has that effect on me. You know, if she's uh, the book I mentioned, Luck and Booth, you know, you, you kind of, you start at the beginning of the book with, with the devil's daughter and her, her kind of like journey through, through Edinburgh and the psychogeography of Edinburgh and, and this kind of, as it unfolds out over, over a century of, of occupants of, of this particular house on Luck and Booth Place. And that thing, so suddenly you find yourself, you lost yourself in this world uh, with an author who's just got such a developed voice of their own, uh, uh, a very singular take on the world around them. Um, so I love losing myself in some, in, in that process, you know, with Jenny Fagan, she's kind of written other incredible books like the Panopticon and, and Hex, and so kind of, yeah, that process of once you're actually into the mindset of, of, of a writer, you, you can, you almost kind of like, you find yourself almost, your life becomes briefly interpreted through, <laughs> through, their, their, uh, through their voice, if you like. And that's, that's really interesting. Um, other uh, over the past couple of years, I'll tell you one um, piece that really uh, hit home with me. But there's a record, uh, an album um, called Chalk Hill Blue. Um, it's on the, the music side of it. It's um, a, a writer called Hannah Peel who has uh, she's she's actually played on on my record. Um, but she was working with a writer called, um, he's a poet and, and and a novelist called Will Burns. And I loved the soundscapes that they were kind of producing between them. There was something kind of really visceral in, in his, his writing. It's, it felt very rooted in nature. Uh, and, and then the kind of this, it's like, slightly dissonant world that then Hannah created in the music. And when you feel that coming together, you know, it's, 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 it really accentuates 
kind of the music of the poetry. I think poetry always has its its music in there. Uh, and when it works, it really does. And it's really obvious. Um, and but to then for, for to actually hear a piece where the music just so keys into that. Um, and you just get this very intense uh reading of 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 the works then as well. Um so yeah, that's probably where I've got to in my slow reading. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, you know, it's funny when I finish an author, uh, you know, my first reaction isn't let me read everything else by that author. Uh, you know, I want to get other voices in my head. So I'm not a favorite author person. You know, I, I feel like if I have a finite amount of time on this planet, I don't want to read everything by one person. I want to yeah. read a bunch of voices. That's always my initial reaction isn't oh let me find out what that other per- what that let me read everything by that person it's i want to read something else um are you like that or are you uh oh i've got to devour everything by that author once i read that book that i like um i think once i kind of when i finished a book i almost go through kind of like this very minor grieving process with it uh, I've, you know, you, you, you're leaving that world and I have to step away. I, I can't jump into another book straight away. It feels, it feels like an infidelity. <laughs> so, yeah, I have to step away and, and wait for something that actually captures my imagination again. And that's it for the latest episode of Songwriters on Process. Don't forget, you can find all of my interviews with over 200 songwriters on my Songwriters on Process website at songwritersonprocess.com, going all the way back to 2010. You can read them, watch them, or listen to them. So until next time, thanks for listening. 